This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Hey, it's me, Jennifer. I bet you weren't expecting to hear from me right now, were you? But I have something to ask you. Do you support Cultivating Place? Honestly, it's really weird to ask, but as Dolly Levi put it, money, pardon the expression, is like manure. It's not worth a thing unless it's spread around encouraging young things to grow. Cultivating Place is just three years old, and we have done a lot in just the past year of Cultivating Place to talk about and expand our views on and understanding of the powerful nature of plants, gardens, and gardeners, cultivators of all kind in this world. We've talked about art, science, and social justice. We've talked about soil, water, and spirit, about environmental degradation and environmental restoration. We've talked about the losses of the world and the hope inherent in the gardening and nature-loving human impulse, our impulse. We've talked about life in the garden from a rainbow of perspectives, and we've talked about the love of the garden and the love that radiates out into the world from our gardens and the nature we cultivate. We've talked about how our gardens and nature-loving ways support us, how they support our families, our communities, and our larger environment, and the larger and more intricate web of life itself. It takes support to bring Cultivating Place to you as a program and podcast every week on North State Public Radio. So now I'm asking you to support this work and these universally important conversations by going to cultivatingplace.com and hitting the support button. A sustaining gift of $10 a month is the most popular level, but just like the gardens we love, size is not the most important thing, heart is. Any and all support really makes a difference. If you're like me and you have felt grounded, felt lifted, felt energized by the conversations we share here, help us keep the Cultivating Place community growing. Despite all the conversations we've had, Cultivating Place is young and tender. And frankly, it's just really getting started. I cannot wait to see where we go from here. And I can't thank you enough for being part of this journey. Okay. Now to this week's program. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In October, we celebrate a long-standing association between the garden, the natural and botanical worlds, and artists. In so doing, each week in Arttober, we'll hear from artists and their botanical journeys, processes, and purpose. This week, we're joined by Obi Kaufman, the artist and author of the California Field Atlas and curator of the online presence known as Coyote Thunder. He joins us today from his studio in Oakland. Welcome, Obi. Hey, thank you so much, Jennifer. So glad to be here with you. And I think I should have said he joins us from his indoor studio because by and large, a great deal of your work takes place 
outdoors. I'd love you to describe that for yourself to our listeners. What is your current work? What does it look like? What do you do, Kobe? <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yes, the indoor studio. The indoor the indoor studio is really the only studio I've got. A lot of people ask me, like, so this California field atlas you have, it's filled with hundreds of uh, what has been called trail paintings, right? The, um, my hand-painted maps and wildlife renderings from my adventures across the state. Now, I don't do a lot of making maps out in the field. In fact, I do zero amount of making maps out in the field. It's all about bringing the information back to my lab here in wild, scenic, peaceful downtown Oakland, where I live. <laughs> and... So you you have this work. I have this work, yes. This work that that is really these days, I have to confess, about oh, quantity. It's a it's a big story, Jennifer. It's a you know yeah. I, I so so the California Field Atlas uh, was published by Heyday Books almost exactly a year ago, mm-hmm. in uh, in September of 2017, and now I am working on the next one. Uh, the next one is going to be called The Forests of California, and uh, the manuscript is almost done right now. The subject matter itself, so deep, robust, and rich, I could make a hundred maps a day for the rest of my life and never tell the whole story. Because, right, this is this is the love story that is the is the phrase you open your first book with, because... It is a love story with an enormous geographic region mm-hmm. that it might feel like it takes a long time to make a book, right? But it makes so much longer and beautifully, transformatively longer to even begin to appreciate what it takes to make a mountain range <laughs> or a forest, right? So, and this is part of what you're trying to tell us. This is right, or to to adequately depict it, render it, mm-hmm. at all describe its many processes, uh, yeah. and every one is different. Um, when I when I started, it's interest. It's interesting to think of how my relationship to the subject matter of my work has evolved. I am a painter. That is my first identity. I've been walking California my whole life and I've been rendering it in realistically depicted watercolor of the flora and fauna and in calligraphy and writing uh, as, as, as long as I've had an artistic voice. My love, my affection for it has grown. It's like this magic well almost. The more I draw from it, the more there is to know. Um, so while I opened the California Field Atlas with the evocative and romantic line that this is a love story, basically that was an expression of, um, this sort of overwhelming affection and, uh, identity that I, that I feel intrinsically, uh, and a connection, mind you, that I'm seeing reflected uh, again and again, as I've, as you know, I've been on book tour for a year too, up and down the state from San Diego to Crescent City. I've been, I've been, you know, engaging this electric network of people who are ready to say, California is not a thing that belongs to us. In fact, we belong to it. You know, there's, there's this new narrative, this nature first narrative that's emerging 
asking what the 21st century needs, how we can best tend to the better stewardship of this place. So this is a love story is how I began the California Field Atlas. And what I'm beginning, and, I, and this just came to me very recently, so I'm going to share it with you now as I'm, as I'm writing the next book, The Force of California. The first line of that book will be that this is a family album. Uh. Again, <laughs> uh, describing the, the evolution of my relationship uh, to this living network of systems. Uh, this this inc- incredibly beautiful array of connectivity, right? It's it's mm-hmm. not about individual uh, individual places. It's about a democratizing of the natural world across the entire body of California, across the entire living body of California. This isn't some sort of like travel highlight book that describes like you know Yosemite Sequoia and the coastal redwoods. It's about where to hike in San Joaquin County or, you know, it's, it's, it's about the hinterlands as much as it is about those marquee showstoppers. Okay, so before I get into <laughs> how we got here into this, this big and unwieldy but fabulously rich uh, way of talking about this, mm-hmm. first of all, what is a field Atlas, <laughs> Yeah. What is a field atlas? How do I read this book you made? Um, <laughs> so I, I had this story to tell, and I realized that I needed, I guess it, it actually surprisingly came out late in the drafting process of the thing, that I needed to invent a whole genre <laughs> to tell this story. Um and I call that genre a field atlas. Field atlases don't exist. Yeah, I made it up to describe this very specific character of California that I was going for. And that character of California, the, the, the natural world of California, that has always existed for, I don't know, about a at least five million years since the, you know, since the, the Miocene. The character of California that still very much exists, you know, although, although every single one of our natural landscapes, our endemic topographies are either threatened or endangered, uh, we have a very low extinction rate here in the state of California. That's not to say we can rest, but we have less than a 1% extinction rate in California. Then California is still here. It hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, what character of California can I describe that will always be here, despite our very, you know, successfully imposed urban veneer, that that jacket that we've so, <laughs> that concrete jacket that we've so um, imposed upon, you know, California's surface in the past 170 years. You'll see like in chapter two, for example, of water and rivers, there are several dozen portraits of of these, of these, you know, curvilinear blue lines. These, you know, from the Klamath River to the San Joaquin River to the, uh, uh, all of these different water courses that will, in one thousand years, still look like that, long after our roads have returned to the dust from which they are made. And I think this 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 sort of looking at the natural world of California 
without this sort of human myopia is a very hopeful and reassuring thing that there are forces, you know, despite the sort of like overwhelming din of the daily miasma that we're exposed mm-hmm. to, you know, California abides and provi- provides. And that that's the spirit of the California field atlas. You won't find any roads in this atlas. This is, I don't tell you how to get anywhere. <laughs> and that gets into the whole ethics of of not 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 well let me tell you jennifer it's like it's like a field guide is like about what right what is this stone what is this butterfly a field Mm -hmm. atlas is about how how do these big systems of earth air fire and water coalesce to make this beautiful place that we all know and love or think we know and love I think we know we love it. I just don't. I'm not sure we we know it as well as we might, or or through the lenses that might help us know it better. And that's one of the things that is really fun and interesting about the field atlas, is that it you have for yourself and then given to us the readers or viewers this concept of removing an old lens and. Mm. Uh, replacing it with an even older lens Mm. and saying, I want you to rethink your paradigm. I want you to shift your perspective. And it is unique and it is refreshing and exciting and disturbing because it's different. And it feels it feels good. All of those those truths of it. It does it does feel good. Thank you for saying so. I I find your words very encouraging. You know, we've got, uh, you know, this this as you said, looking back, this old lens to look forward. There's almost like this circular aspect of time. There's this mm-hmm. circular mm-hmm. aspect to the whole narrative too. You know, this isn't a book that you just sort of pick up. I imagine you can, but it is a very special person who reads this book from cover to cover. You know, this book, I, I think, is more to like be picked up and enjoyed from any point, really, because the whole, you know, as 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 we were just talking about, there's like this circular narrative at work here. The meat of the book really are chapters two through five, which is of earth and mountains, of water and rivers, of fire and forests, and of wind and weather. And you can find and and there's uh you know there's about 75 or so maps in those chapters that define really generalized models of how these big physical forces influence our topographical environment or physiographical environment or ecological environment um and and those maps can all sort of be found on you know some level or another on you know department of energy or National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, or they can be found on these academic science-based websites, but you know, they're, they're hidden, they're low res. I wanted them all together and I wanted to express, I had, I had an idea, and I think this might be the most successful sort of aesthetic uh, result of the book is that there, there is this beauty of critical mass that emerges when all of those maps are put together, when they're sort of interpreted under my eye. I mean, as an artist, you know, I've got this thing called art. Um, as a, you know, and, 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 I, and I use that to, 
to produce my data-driven work with both a license and a shield to do whatever I want. So that's, that's, that's my charge when I say bold and crazy things like art is the realm of meaning, science is the realm of truth. Okay, so I'm taking all this science and I am giving it an artful message. I'm not calling myself a scientist. My work doesn't require consensus. My work doesn't require peer review because I am presenting my own lens, to use that word again, as uh, my own relationship to my subject matter, which is the natural world of California. So in that regard, and I like to come around to this again and again, that like this book is, uh, is only barely about California. On some level, it's about me observing California. So I think that personal connection is, is, is maybe what people are responding to in this book. You know, we're, it's, uh, I, I'm so thrilled to be talking with you here today, a year after the book has come out. And I think that that is speaking to that it's not you, I mean, it is you, Obi Kaufman, in relationship and viewing this, you know, political boundaried space that we call California. Right. But it's also you, human, viewing and in relationship this world. Mm. It could be, you know, as much as you and I both love California right. and its very specific ecological regions and biodiversity and floristic province, it could be someone else in, you know, Kuala Lumpur doing the same thing with their space. You are asking, you might be asking, but more importantly, you're modeling different ways for people to engage and relate to and learn from and appreciate and steward our world. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah, it's 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 more of a uh, uh, a yeah a, a a view on nature. I wonder, you know, the, the, it it can't really be a genre if there's only one book. You know? so <laughs> well, I, it could. I wonder at its reproducibility. Um, almost Darwinian like that, right? Like, it, can mm. it can it survive, uh, or can it can it be something larger than itself? Uh, the idea of somebody doing a field atlas of Iowa sounds brilliant to me. You know, I get I get question mm. I get asked all the time, like, when are you going to do Texas? When are you going to do Oregon? And uh, <laughs> I can't I can't do that. I don't have the re- I I was born here. I've walked these trails my whole life. I I don't have another well. Hopefully, I've got another 40 years, but I don't have another 40 years to go like out and do that there, you know, or, right. or even interest, you know. And as I say, you know, the magic well where I can, you know, I get more the more I draw from it. So I can I, I'm just going to go deeper with California. But my goodness, if. If. I could if we could crack that open, right? Well, what what? What I mean by cracking it open is is like this trust, right? Well, how I'm every time somebody opens my book, I am asking them to trust me as a storyteller with this idea called 
truth or whatever. You know, like trust me as a as a valid source of story at all, right? To and what is this story? Well, this story is about trusting me as an author, but we also have to trust each other in conversation. And and this is probably the deepest the deepest thing that I would would hope that my book, you know, on its if you know, it's already surpassed my wildest dreams as far as success or whatever. So like, you know, if it could keep going, this is what I want. This is I want it to be some sort of catalyst of contribution towards us talking about not only how we do how do we continue our very blessed and honored you know honored human residency here in this place not only for the next 100 years but over the next 1000 years what is it what does our society look like a thousand years from now and what do we do today to make sure that we have a society in 1,000 years. And 1,000 years isn't that big a chunk of time, believe it or not. Mm -mm. It is Mm -mm. one-twelfth the time that we have been here in California. California has known human residency for at least 13,000 years, and a good bit of it, you know. But now can can we live in such accord with this place that we keep our biodiversity that we keep our 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 population and i believe the answer is yes i believe that the answer is it's absolutely possible uh if 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 we can trust each other enough with 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 uh, an honest telling of this new kind of story i do think that like even with the basic what I'm offering here, which is some geographic literacy, I suppose, you know, this informed citizenry, like let's get you know, this, where this book becomes a handbook of conservation. Uh, what, uh, you know, what do we have left to protect? We've got a, quite a bit left to protect. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. In this second in our four-part Arttober series focused on the many expressions of botanical artistry. We're speaking with Obi Kaufman, artist and author of the California Field Atlas, a book he describes as a new portfolio of invented geography that balances ecology and aesthetics as driving and orienting forces. We'll be back. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. So many of our Cultivating Place guests come back to this sense of a love story, a reciprocal relationship with their gardens, lands, plants, born of heritage or a lifetime of experience or of recent experiences that have demonstrated to them that this relationship builds them up. I really like how Obi refers to this first book of his, The California Field Atlas, as a family album of sorts. I really hope you go to cultivatingplace.com and check out his artwork on the weekly post there. His watercolor maps and sketches are lovely, and you can feel that they are loving too, like a family album would be. Here, it's fall. In our Mediterranean climate, 
This October and later into the season is a time of planting. With the return of rains, and we got our first rain this past week, hooray! It's a kind of second spring. We plant trees and shrubs and bulbs and seeds. We feed the soil with compost and mulch. Which brings me to the quote I read in the beginning of the program. Did you ever watch Hello, Dolly? I can still picture the inimitable Barbara Streisand as Dolly Levi, uttering the phrase with her dramatic and slight drawl. Money, pardon the expression, is like manure. <laughs> and she's like waving her hands. It's fabulous. Cultivating Place has just launched a support page and campaign to create long-term and sustainable funding for the program. For the first time ever, I come to you to invite and ask for your help with this. It's the beautiful and fragrant and full of life composted manure we need to dig into the soil bed that is Cultivating Place and which will allow for optimum root growth this winter and full flowering and fruiting in the seasons to come. You can make your tax-deductible contribution through the support button at cultivatingplace.com. Just follow the links at the top of any page. And if you prefer to call in your support through the phone number there, please make sure to specify that the donation is in support of your favorite podcast, Cultivating Place. And good Lord, thank you in advance for any level of support and, as always, for listening. Now back to our conversation with Obi and his journey work documenting the physical and metaphysical nature of the being he knows as a family member, California. I want to yank us back to solid ground just a tiny bit, Obi. Tell me about your earliest influences in life that led you to being a person that would take on a task like this? <laughs> my father, <laughs> my father, astrophysicist, Dr. William John Kaufman III, he was the director of the Griffith Observatory down there in Los Angeles. So he was out looking at the cosmos, right? Mm. Uh, he's been, he's uh, left this mortal coil a couple of decades ago, but he, um, he, uh, instilled in me early this wonder at the universe. I grew up on Mount Diablo here in the East Bay, and that is my mountain. What a curious mountain it is sticking out there like a thumb in the Central Valley, catching all the wildflower seeds from the Northwest and the Southwest where desert flowers grow alongside uh, flowers that you would find in the temperate rainforest. Uh, I grew up there uh, naming the blue oaks and drawing maps through the sage mazes and absolutely falling in love with that place. And uh, every, in high school, every day after school, it was uh, sitting down with my father with a uh, stack of white paper and uh, a sharp can full of number twos and learning about calculus. So uh, that uh, alchemical... Mixture produced a painter. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't, uh, I, 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 I'm sure it is a mystery to my parents uh, about uh, uh, where that art thing came from, but I always insisted that it was, it was the next step in um, an intellectual legacy that I am proud to be a part of. So uh, that is 
that is where uh, the the training was really. I mean, it was mm-hmm. training, yeah. So I have been backpacking my whole life. You know, I went to school at UC Santa Barbara, and I was so influenced by the Chumash rock paintings, uh, the big psychedelic suns and condors that spread in natural ochres across the sandstone walls around the Los Padres National Forest down there on the central coast. And that, I believe, is some of the best art ever made by a human anywhere. People ask me, like, what are your painting influences and stuff? It's not the European old masters in my mind. It's the it's the uh, it's the pre-contact artists of the coastal California. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that continues to impress itself on me this 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 idea of of personally identifying with the the larger environment the larger cosmos so my my father gave me this idea that uh, you know the cosmos can be apprehended and then uh the natural world gave me this idea that that the cosmos is all right here right in front of my senses and it and i can tell my own story and you did yes and you are continuing to uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so describe describe the journey from the point at which your your art and that training turned into the the artful rendition almost entirely of California native plants, California wildlife, California locations and topographies, and then how you got from there to saying I'm going to put this together into a thing. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think I think if you know, I I heard a very uh, funny definition of the word nerd recently. Uh, somebody <laughs> who has an infinite energy around one subject. <laughs> you know, mm. like when did, you know, like nerds get into it. You know. Um, I am a nerd for California. I am a nerd for other things as well. One of the things that I really love is Lord of the Rings. All right. So when I pitched this book to Heyday, I had I had that drawing by J.R.L. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, you know, that, that appears at the beginning of his book. You know, the, do you know the, the drawing I'm talking about with the little mountains and the I trees do. and all that kind yes. of stuff? That, the map oh, of yes. Middle Earth. I wanted to do that for this place that is so much more fantastic, has so much more epic adventure in it than Middle Earth could ever have. It's funny. People are like, how did you learn calligraphy and that kind of thing? So, well, it's actually because, you know, I was looking at the Elvish or whatever. Well, now I'm telling you all my secrets, Jennifer. So, uh, but it's true. <laughs> They're you know? safe with me. <laughs> like that sort of like, you know, this this sort of like, you know, almost more real than real, a little bit larger than life, right? It's all mm-hmm, it's all mm-hmm. so uh, fun, epic, adventurous, beautiful, fantastic. Yeah, and it's that imaginative view that allows us to see the epic in in the real world Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah i would i would hope so you know um because we i we get we get so used to all of our our grid-like urban living here um i don't know we live in a very special place here in california i live in oakland where it is always 
a beautiful day and all the flowers are always in bloom, <laughs> you know, but, uh, uh, nature is everywhere, uh, on all scales mm-hmm. and all levels, holding on to the biodiversity of this place is our big challenge in the 21st century. Um, and we have mm-hmm. the opportunity, I believe, and this book begins to lie out that we have the opportunity to leave the 21st century in better shape than we left California in the 20th century. Yep. Yep. So then describe for me how you ultimately put this book together, because we've talked kind of around it, and we've talked a little bit descriptively at different points in it when you described those central content chapters. You describe it as a puzzle to be read, not solved. And you work with this structure of 11 icons, which is one of the ways that you order meaning and you order direction in the book, which is very, very helpful. But that's what sets the standard for this perspective and paradigm shift in how we look at things. Right, right. If I, if I, can, get, if I can get the right lexicon with the right cipher... To, to unlock um, this very, I don't know, simple patterns of looking at nature. So that's what I mean by like when you can, when, when you, when, if it's, if it, if the alphabet is, is elemental enough that, that it's apprehendable, um, that the, that the puzzle, that the way the land unfolds might be read instead of, Instead of these, it becomes more like a algebraic function where you just sort of like input the variables and you get the same product every time. Um, so the, the elegance there is, is what I was looking for from the beginning. And it was an arduous task to get there. I really believe that the, uh, the way I remember it and the way I'm dreading it to come <laughs> is that the editorial process is at least as interesting as the content derivation as as the drafting process right so like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the first the first edition of this manuscript was over a thousand pages you know we're coming in now at like 550 so it was like half the book was scrubbed in edit you know um and gosh listen to your editors i have so learned the value of a good editor and heyday has given me some <laughs> of the best you know just listen to them and your book will be better. Uh, maybe I'll put all those notes back in for some like, you know, 10th anniversary monstrosity edition or something like that. But, um, but uh, I just remember the, 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 the lump in my throat when I got the first manuscript back and it was just, just post-it notes were just falling off it like, like, like bark off a madrone tree or something. It was just, <laughs> it, you know, it was just like, it was this, this, this shattered thing. And, uh, and yet, going through all of those edits made the work stronger. It wouldn't be this book today without the editorial process. You know, I didn't even know how it was going to be organized until late in the drafting process when I was like, oh, yeah, earth, air, fire, and water. Duh, it's all right there. That's the chapters. I didn't know how that was going to be. All I knew is I wanted all the maps together. Trusting the creative process and working on it every day is the only way to make a big thing like this happen. And... Uh, and it took me about a year. And when I say a year, it was like seven days a week, five to, you know, 5 a.m., 10 p.m. kind of days. But, you know, it was, uh, um, and, and I'm, I'm in those again. Uh, it's, 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 
it's tough work, but it's it and it's painful at times. But it's like getting a tattoo or what I imagine maybe um, giving birth might be like. It's like uh, painful. It's very, very painful, but the body doesn't remember pain very well. So it's like, hey, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, like, As I recall, that's exactly what childbirth is like. <laughs> Thus, okay, two children. Okay, I can't say it. <laughs> so describe the 11 icons that you narrowed your lexicon down to. Right, right. Well, the, the, the icons are all about scale. Okay, mm-hmm. so like... Um, I, I needed I needed these icons to be uh, really able to inhabit and describe a great many things at great uh, disparities of scale. So, like for example, the there's one icon icon I use for campgrounds uh, on you know a, a, on a smaller scale on a, on a you know a, a little map that by um, you know uh, describe. 10 square miles. But I also use that same icon to describe Fort Irwin military base, <laughs> you know, down there in the in the uh, North Mojave. So that that would be like, you know, describing uh 200 square miles. Uh so uh really paring it down that way um uh where you have these general feel, right? So we've got like trailheads and we've got, and we've got ecological sites. We've got different kinds. I'm really into, uh, uh, land designation policies and whether or not, uh, it's, a it's a state park, a national park, a, a BLM land, a, a forest service land, a mm-hmm. wilderness. I'm really fascinated by our, our, our most strict and, uh, intensive land protection areas the federal the designated federal wilderness areas which make up almost 19 percent of the total land area of california we we rival alaska in just sheer numbers uh in just percentage of land area covered not percentage of acreage there's not I mean alaska takes there's there's just so many more acre, acres acres <laughs> in alaska but as far as like percentage of the state that is protected goes California. It could be argued is the wilderness state. So describing how all of these different, uh, um, uses and attitudes and, uh, uh, topographical details all conjoin together and, you know, across, you know, and, and distributing them across the, the picture plane by itself is an aesthetic formal, uh, compositional experience where those kind of decisions have to be made. So that's right. that's sort of that's sort of how it goes. Uh, the the new book's gonna I, I've limited that a little bit. I've invented new ways of describing uh, the land because it's it's however you want to tie this cat's cradle between your fingers, you can't. There's a thousand different ways you can do it. And that was the one I chose for this. You know, how do I get it the most elegant and the most simple? That's always what I'm going to try and do. And every map needs to only be about one thing. So that's, yeah. that's, I don't want to put everything in a map. Just yeah. one thing. If I could just do one thing, like the, you know, each map becomes a painting that way. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the book is filled with your paintings and they are, um, they are very characteristic so that you could, I believe, 
I would like to believe that I could recognize your your work just about anywhere, and <laughs> um, and they're very evocative of. Uh, there's a, a sense, as you mentioned early in the conversation, of both artistry and license with realism and uh, what you might expect to see. Right. The... On, on some level, you know, like, uh, uh, don't be scared if you see a purple coyote or a red eagle or whatever. Right. Like, you know, the, the, I don't hold true to color in my wildlife renderings like like you would in a field guide for example you know Mm -hmm. i mean sometimes sometimes i get the i get the you know color right but you know what i have seen purple coyotes it's just a trick of the light at sunset Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know but but i'm not really interested in in helping you figure that out (laughs) and that goes back to the scale thing as well because it's one of the ways that you ask us to not take things for granted or not see things through the exact Mm -hmm. same lens that we Mm -hmm. have always seen them so towns are all the exact same size no matter what size town they they actually are because they are of sort of equal weight in your eyes when you're looking at a map for right. a different reason. And right. that shifting scale of um, of value, whether it's in size of town or, or, you know, quality of light, that asks us to be paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the this whole idea of trust, like I'm asking you to trust me as a valid source of story i am also trusting you to keep up um to 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 want i hesitate to say to want to be educated because that's not exactly what i'm going for it's almost like yeah i'm trusting you that you are uh, invested in this subject that you want to not exploit this place that you that you your intentions are not to just extract as much of it uh, you know of the natural resources as you can that you're not here f- solely for profit but you're here to appreciate what m- my lens there's that word again has to offer which is which is uh, the most beautiful corner of the universe that I know and what I find when I give this trust and I'm accepting this trust is that there's this there's this momentum happening and 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 I'm not going to talk about politics at all here but I do see so much divisive rhetoric in our faces on a daily level that doesn't exist in human community across California at this point. You know, uh, I've been called uh, a Bay Area elitist, and I've been called a Republican sympathizer, you know, and I'm very proud to be both of those things because I'm just a Californian. And I am looking always to divorce the conservation movement from any other agenda because it doesn't have to do with left or right or any of that stuff 
It just has to do with a way of looking at extraction versus replenishment Mm -hmm. and our rights and responsibilities there pertaining. So I'm finding that this trust that I'm, you know, this, 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 this ebb and this flow, this give and this take, uh, this giving and this receiving that it, that it, it, uh, you know, here's the magic well again, that it, that it, the, the more you, the more you take, the more there is. And, uh, it's really exciting just to listen, you know, to have the opportunity not only to present my work, but to be an audience to these people in Fresno or Los Angeles or Crescent City or Humboldt or, or Joshua Tree or Riverside, where I'm, uh, uh, going to on my, on my journeys and and where this book is taking me that to, to hear people coming together with land trust movements, with different ideas of how we can really encourage and proliferate California's own natural systems of, uh, of giving, of abiding, Mm -hmm. of providing, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so that's, uh, inspiring to me. And what it can become is limitless. And I think, so there are two things I want to reflect on mm-hmm. in what you've just said. And, and the first one is that it's not only that you are asking the reader and the viewer to trust you and that you are trusting us to be able to follow. You are expecting us to be able to follow and you are asking us to trust ourselves that we can and we should follow. Because there is something about being spoken to with a higher level of expectation that inspires us to show up, to to live up to that expectation. And that, I think, is moving and profoundly energizing. And then the, the second thing I want to reflect on is that in your metaphor about the well, I think it's not that the more you take, because that sounds a little too like the extractive mindset. It's the more that you see or the more that you learn or the more that you appreciate and share it, the more there is to learn, appreciate, and share. Sure, sure, sure. The more you draw from, I, mm-hmm. I guess, I, yeah. Yeah, it would, would be a better. The more you draw from the well, the more water there is. That would be how trust or even love or respect works. That's how all mm-hmm. these, grand, these grand movements work. Right. Um, and so yeah. one of my questions for you is where you are not of a first people's background. How is the response from what has been the interaction for you with the Native American peoples of this region who have this long history and this deep respect and reciprocity with this land that is their homelands? Yeah, indeed. Indeed. You know, uh, Heyday Books uh publishes news from native california uh malcolm margolin its founder uh famously published in 1974 i believe 74 75 the uh, the ohlone way which is uh the story of uh bay area living over the past 10,000 years which is a must read for anybody who cares about such things i i set about writing the California Field Atlas with like even like a, a bigger idea of language, I wanted to rename all the mountains and, and research 
their indigenous names and they all have names. Um, and I, I spent months on it as a matter of fact. <laughs> uh, and then I was talking, um, about it with, uh, Greg Castro, who's a Selenian elder, uh, the Selenian people for whom Salinas Valley is named for. I was talking about one of our favorite peaks down there in, uh, in the San Lucia mountains called, uh, well, right now it's called Unipro Serra Peak and, uh, Unipro Serra, the father of, of the California missions, is proliferator of genocide, you know, and yeah. it's, it's a very painful, tough subject. And, I, and I, frankly, I personally find it a bit offensive that the mountain's named after him. But I'm mm-hmm. going to leave that aside for now. I wanted to name the mountain again, at least in my book. Again, this is my book. I was going to call it Pimkolam, which is the Selenian word for it. Of course, it's not. Uh, as Greg told me, the the words, the, the name of the mountain sounds more like a sentence to my ear than just that simple phrase. Pimkulam actually just means mountain. I realized that I was just way over my head with that mission. And talking to my editor, Lindsay Bear, who herself is, is she's, she now heads up the uh, indigenous relations for the... Uh, Humboldt Foundation up there in Arcata. Anyway, she is a California indigenous as well. And, you know, she was like, Obi, that's just not your story. It's okay. And that was such a breath of fresh air for me just to mm-hmm. be like, oh, yeah, I don't have to have the weight of the world or whatever on my shoulders with this book. I am just here to tell my story. And this is just my story. You know, I'm not here to be the chronicler of indigenous history or Western history or California ecology. I don't write textbooks. I don't, you know, like right. I'm, not, I'm just here making my book. And that sort of, I th- I was nearly like sunk on those rocks, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was, it was a desperate place to get to in my in my content making phase in the drafting phase of my book just to be able to put all that aside and just say all right but i i didn't i didn't end up calling that peak you know Procera peak i couldn't do that i went back to its old name which is santa lucia peak so so that's the the tallest peak in the california coastal range between snow mountain and uh los pinos down in los angeles six thousand feet yeah you have Forests of California underway, mm-hmm. and I believe that you have another one queued up right <laughs> after that. Oh, Tell you've us done about. Your Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've got another one queued up before that. Actually, that's all. That one is already done. Now, the one that is coming out in June. So mm-hmm. I've got a book coming out with Heyday every six months for the next two years. Um, this one coming out in June is called "The State of Water: Understanding California's Most Precious Resource." <laughs> that's just a just a horse pill of a title for a horse <laughs> pill of a book it is it is it's a thin book uh that uh over what can be described as a very contentious subject uh how, water is there enough of it how do we how do we how do we make sure there's enough of it how do we how do we protect our allocations and rights for it the state of water uh is 
my examination of the most altered aspect of California's topography, which is the waterscape. Mm-hmm. We have <laughs> we have such an amazing system of transporting this precious substance uh, that has transformed. We've transformed California from what it, from what it was in in only in just about exactly a hundred years. We've done this, and the whole premise of that book is that if we're not talking about conservation, we're not having a good discussion about water. I needed to wrap my head around those numbers, around this whole very complex issue, before I was able to return to the holding natural world of the forests, for example. Forests will be coming out next fall, and then next spring, which is spring 2020, the coasts of California will be coming out. And this is my examination of everything within about two miles of the California coastline. And then in the fall of 2020, my last book in this trilogy, this California Lands trilogy, The Deserts of California, everything beyond the rain shadow of the Sierra Nevada and the transverse and peninsular ranges of uh, coastal California, the Colorado and the Mojave Desert, these beautiful and unique ecosystems. I can't wait to get that book, get to work on that book as well. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It has been a pleasure to speak with you. Oh my gosh. Well, it's been a a pleasure speaking with you too. Thank you so much for the good work you do here. Obi Kaufman is artist and author of the California Field Atlas, available from Heyday Press. He is also the artist and curator of the online presence known as Coyote Thunder. In his introduction to the Field Atlas, Obi writes, I am a poet and a painter, and my work is based on a mode of naturalistic interpretation that builds from hard science to focus on the inner lens of truth. Join us again next week as we continue our conversations with artists inspired by the botanical world when we're joined with collage and aquatint etching artist Julia Lucy. There are so many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. To make your tax-deductible listener contribution, please click the support button at cultivatingplace.com. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. To subscribe to the Cultivating Place podcast so you never miss a conversation, as well as to read more about and see many photos from O.B. Kaufman's work, head over to cultivatingplace.com and follow the subscribe links. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.